power of those words are vanity unless you empower them. So, Heavenly Father, I beg you that you will give us that which is necessary and needful this morning. In Daniel chapter 4, we see that Nebuchadnezzar was a man who personally experienced the sovereignty of God. The word sovereign or sovereignty is not recorded in scriptures. Its synonym is omnipotence, and even that word is recorded only once in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 6. But sovereignty and omnipotence simply means the supreme and unchallenged power and authority, and Jehovah God is the only one who has sovereignty over men and over creation. Only scriptures identify as Jehovah God with this sovereignty. Another word that we find in scripture that is synonymous with sovereign and sovereignty is almighty. In the Hebrew it is Shaddai, and the word El is the Hebrew word for God. We put the two words together and come up with the person and title of God Almighty, or El Shaddai. In the Greek, it is Pantocrator, Pantocrator, pan meaning all, or pos meaning all, and krator meaning power. It is raw. From the human perspective, it is raw, physical power that one has to to subdue another person. And as we already know, Nebuchadnezzar personally experienced God's sovereignty. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in Daniel chapter 4, and because of its length, let me just give you a paraphrase of that dream. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of a tree that grew in the midst of the earth. Now a little bit later, the prophet Daniel is going to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar that this tree represented Nebuchadnezzar. That's a key point that we need to remember. This tree grew in the midst of the earth, meaning that in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar was the most important person in all of the known world. It grew in the midst of the earth. And in his dream, the tree height reached unto the heavens. And also that all the beasts and the birds of the air enjoyed the shadow of it and nested in the branches thereof, meaning that the whole world was nourished and protected by Nebuchadnezzar and by Babylon. But we also can read in this chapter of a heavenly watcher and a holy one that came down from heaven and condemned this tree because of its pride and of its arrogance and of its usurping God's power and authority. We understand that the tree was cut down and a band was placed around the roots, meaning that the tree would one day receive some restoration. 
But during that time, seven years or seven times would pass over this tree. And we believe that that was the seven years of Nebuchadnezzar's insanity that he suffered there because of his pride. Nebuchadnezzar, before this happened, was the most powerful man of his day. He was the king of Babylon for 43 years from 605 B.C., until approximately 562 years before Christ. God permitted him to conquer Judah. Babylon ruthlessly ruled the known world at that time. You go over into the latter chapters of, of Second Kings and the latter chapters of Second Chronicles, and you can see of the ruthlessness that Nebuchadnezzar and his armies plied upon, upon Israel and Judah at that particular time. And Nebuchadnezzar boasted that he alone deserved the credit for all there was. In Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, there were no equals. In Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, there were no challengers. And in man's perspective, that was the absolute truth. Nebuchadnezzar alone boasted that he alone deserved the credit. We find in verse number 30 of Daniel chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar walked into the palace one day and he looked over the terrace and over the, the city of Babylon and he says, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the power of my might and for the honor of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar is just like a a lot of American presidents of late, they are extreme narcissists and believe that all things are because of them, and that we ought to fall down and worship before them. And dear friends, I want you to know that one day, God will haul them before Him by the scruff of the neck, and He'll give them what for, and He'll make them give an account for the way that they have treated God. Notice in verse number 32 and in verse number 37 that the Most High and the King of Heaven humbled Nebuchadnezzar as an animal. God's sovereignty, though, in His sovereignty and in His grace and mercy restored Nebuchadnezzar's sanity and His kingdom. And because of that, when Nebuchadnezzar fully realized the implication of all that had happened to him, and of the Most High One, who is all sovereign, that He was in that man, that, that God's very hands, that Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed and, and exalted God's sovereignty. Let's read some verses. Go to verse number 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is, that, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the, pow, by, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. 
They shall drive or chase you from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know. This is an interesting expression that God is going to impress on every one of us as He does every individual that has ever lived. Until you know, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever He will. The same hour was a thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of days, or what I believe is seven years, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Nothing has changed. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Don't matter how proud you think you are or what you think you are, you're nothing. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. All of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar was sitting out there in the field with a clump of grass in his mouth because he's eating like the oxen and he's looking at his hair and his nails and all of a sudden he realizes that he's in the very hands of a fearful and almighty God. Mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Notice the implication of those words is that Nebuchadnezzar didn't do this on his own. Somebody intervened in Nebuchadnezzar's life and restored it for him, and Nebuchadnezzar is about to tell us who it was. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment or right or righteousness, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase or humiliate. Let me give you a few words of introduction. Jehovah God proclaims sovereignty solely for himself. National governments can only claim sovereignty. The American states has claimed sovereignty for some 200 and some odd years. And we need to realize just how fragile that sovereignty is. Just a few months ago, I believe it was just a little over 100 days from, from a couple of days ago, Ukraine proclaimed sovereignty over its borders and geography and people. Look how frail that is. Governments often lack the ability to enforce their sovereignty 
Unbelievers scoff at God's sovereignty. May I read Romans chapter 36, and Paul quoted it also in Romans chapter 3. The transgression, by the way, that word transgression implies that these wicked knowingly, willfully, purposefully, and rebelliously by design transgress against God. God says, do not do that, and man says, I will do that. God says, do this, and man says, I will not do that. That's what that word transgression means. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart. Now here is David, and David is looking at the wicked within his kingdom and outside the boundaries of his kingdom, and he's looking and he's contemplating and considering the activities of the wicked. And when David looks at them, David, his only conclusion is, these people have no fear of God. Can we not look at our neighborhoods today and our own cities today And in my own heart, whenever I watch the little excerpts of the news that I can stand, before I throw something heavy at the television, that the only conclusion that I have of the society that we currently live in is that we have no fear of God. Their lies and their speech reflect their irreverence, just like Nebuchadnezzar's did. By the might of my power, and for my own furtherance of my majesty. And God says, okay, we'll see about that. Governments defy God's sovereignty, do they not? In Psalm chapter 2, the psalmist says, The kings of the earth set themselves. Have we ever seen a day and time when we can look at the leaders of of the nations of the world on our television and think this person has no contemplation of who God is? They set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. You know who that anointed is? Lord Jesus Christ. Churchianity, not Christianity, churchianity denies God's sovereignty. Preachers get up in the pulpit and they'll preach a pretty good message and then they'll ruin everything come invitation time. God will save you if you'll let Him. I don't let God do anything. God does what He wants to. God has done all He can, now it's all up to you. Thank God that it wasn't up to me. I hated and despised God. I wanted another way of salvation, where I didn't want God at all. And thank God that He didn't leave it to me. God wants to save you, but Satan wants to damn you. It's all up to you. No, it's not. Listen to what Paul says of God's sovereignty and man's salvation. Whom he did predestinate. 
back in eternity past. God chiseled my name on a tablet of stone and reserved me and ordained me for salvation. He predestinated or predetermined. Then He also called. In eternity past, God predestinated me, and in time, He called me. I'll never forget it. Four o'clock in the morning, after my two brothers witnessed to me literally all night long, I got down on my knees at the foot of the bed and I begged God. I begged God for mercy and for grace. On April the 1st, 1974, I became a fool for Christ. Them He also called, and whom He called them He also justified or declared guiltless. And whom He justified them He also glorified. I look forward to that day when I shall see Him. I shall be like Him for I shall see Him as He is. My dear precious Lord and Savior is in His glorified state. And one day I'll have a body like His. One day I'll have a sinless body. I'll I'll have a body that isn't ruled by lust and by the penchants of the flesh. I think back on day of Pentecost when God saved 3,000 people. I wonder how many of them went there that morning and said, you know what, I think I'll get saved today. I don't think any of them had that idea. But buddy, God gripped them. God got a hold of them. I think of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. That morning when Saul of Tarsus got up and he looked at himself in the mirror, so to speak, he didn't think, you know what, I'm going to get saved today. No. He was going to Damascus to persecute and imprison the church. And God said, no, you're not. Met him on Damascus Road, did he not? I think of Lydia. I want to meet Lydia one day. I will meet Lydia one day. Her salvation was nowhere near as sensational as as Saul of Tarsus's, but she was on the riverbank one day where they were wont to pray. And there she is praying. I believe that Lydia had something, a yearning and an emptiness. And God Almighty says, I'm going to feel it today. There she is on the riverbank, and she's praying with, with the other ladies there. And buddy, God grabbed that woman. And so sweetly and so peacefully and so blissfully gave her redemption and salvation. I think of, I think of the Philippian jailer there. He's laying in his bed and he's trying to get some sleep and that pesky Paul is singing. And buddy, God says, okay, I'm going to visit. And God visited as only God can Send an earthquake there, and we know the story of the jailer who was about to take him, take his own life, because he knew that it was his life for the prisoners who escaped. And Saul and, and Paul says, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. 
The Bible says that Paul preached unto them Jesus and, and the jailer in his household, God saved them that night. Religionists demand of God at their beck and call. I have literally seen them on television. God, I command you. That's a scary thing. Churches skirt God's sovereignty with programs and gimmicks. Concerts and comedians. Oh, let's spread the gospel. We'll just have a comedian come in. Literally, that's what churches are doing today. Otherwise, their attendance would be sparse like ours is this morning. Churches skirt God by having seminars and self-help conferences. Churches skirt God's sovereignty with easy believism and social gospels and ecumenicalism. And you know what God Almighty is saying to churches today? Do you know what Lord Jesus Christ is saying to churches today? He's saying the same thing that He said to Sardis. You have a name or a reputation that you have. And yet you don't know it, but you're just as dead as a stump. Here's the result of all of that. Sinners and church members have no concept, nor do we appreciate the sovereignty of God. Let's learn a lesson through the eyes and through the experiences of a heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar. Number one, God wields absolute sovereignty. In verse number 32, the Bible says, The Most High ruleth, this is God Himself saying this, The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever He will. I am not a conspiracy theorist. But I'm going to tell you one thing, that, that, that the simple fact that Donald Trump was elected for president, and even more than that, the simple fact that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are in office today is direct proof that there is a God in heaven and that God is in control. Because a national electorate would not have elected such people as these. So they needed a little bit of help to get into office. And in fact, it turned out to be a whole lot of help because God put them there. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar answers to this. In verse number 34, At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed, I blessed the Most High. Most of us don't have any experiences like Nebuchadnezzar, and yet we still ought to bless the Most High. Do you have breakfast this morning? You, ought need, you need to bless the Most High. Are you in good or relatively good health? Then bless the Most High. And even if you're in poor health, still bless the Most High because He's putting you through that so that you will bless Him for all that He's done. Verse number 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. I love it whenever Nebuchadnezzar says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he's unashamed of praising and blessing God for who he is and what he did in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Nebuchadnezzar confessed God's absolute sovereignty. Look in verse number 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. That word reputed means that God regards them, God views them, God considers them 
as nothing. If you want a little bit of sobering up, then write this down. Isaiah chapter 40, verses number 15 and 17. Let me read them to you. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. I was thinking about this yesterday. I, uh, I, 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 I planted a tree in my backyard. And so I got a bucket of water, and I filled that bucket up so that I could water the hole, put the tree in it, put dirt on it, and then water the ground on top of it. And whenever the bucket was full, I shut the water off, and I said, oh, just one more spritz. And so I go sort of like that. Four or five drops came out of that hose, and I thought to myself, that didn't do a thing. I mean, what, 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 is, what is the use of adding another few drops in a bucket? It doesn't add to the capacity. It doesn't add to the weight. It's nothing. And God, sovereign God, who sits on His throne in heaven, He's looking at the nations of the earth, and He says they're just a drop in the bucket. As, as, as much bravado that Putin has, he's nothing but a drop in the bucket. He's not even that because he's just one national leader over many around the world. And our doctoring president who stumbles around the White House, he's nothing but a drop in the bucket. He's nothing to God. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. Listen to the expression. And are counted as the small dust of the balance. Can we not see the Hebrew merchant? He has his balance and he sets it out and somebody comes up to buy uh, some grain of wheat or something or other. That merchant doesn't concern himself about wiping off the dust that's on that scale because that dust doesn't add to the weight of what the merchant is selling. It's inconsequential. And God says that that is exactly the way that the nations are. They're just dust that's on the balance. All nations before Him are as nothing and they are counted as to him less than nothing and vanity. We here in American states, we stick our thumbs in our lapels and we stick our nose up in the air so high that if it rained we'd near drown with all of our pride that we have and we're nothing. It is Jehovah God who appoints humans to power. Romans chapter 13, Apostle Paul says, There is no power but of God. When we look at our presidents, we say, How in the world did you get there? The answer is, God put him there. The powers that be are ordained or predetermined, and they are set in place by God. God manipulates human authority as He pleases. We may say, well, you know, I don't like our president. Well, suck it in. Because God put him there. 
Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 21, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it wheresoever he, turn, he determines or wills. Now I've actually seen this in the past of heavy rains come along and, and, and rivers literally change their course. It used to curve around this way, now it curves around this way. And sometimes nations fight because often rivers are seen as boundaries. Nations fight with one another whenever God changes the course of the rivers. And the king's heart is exactly the same way. Why does our presidents think and do like they do? Because God gives them the permission to do so. A lot of times I think, I think God says, Okay, you want to do that? I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you. Listen to what God says of Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 9. I raised you up. God's talking to Pharaoh. I raised you up. In other words, God appointed Pharaoh and God set him in office to show in you my power. Pharaoh, you, you think you're it. Well, I'm going to show you that you're nothing. And I'm going to get the praise of it. And, and Israel is going to praise me for it. And Israel is going to see that there is only one God amongst all the mythological gods of Egypt. Do you know every time God sent a plague upon Egypt, God was, was, was proving the non-existence and the vanity of a particular God that the Egyptians worshipped? I'm going to show in you my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Listen, in 2022, we're still bragging about what God did in the nation of Egypt. And that whole scenario is a thread that is woven throughout scriptures. And the God over Egypt is the God of today. And we here in America are, are touting who we are at the expense of God's honor and praise. And God says, okay. I'm, I'm, uh, let's, let, let's, see, let's see where that takes you. So that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Very possibly may, may come about that at, the, at, the, at America's demise that the rest of the world is going to step back and suck in their breath and say, wow, I wonder how much God was in on this. So, if God wields absolute sovereignty, not only that, but He also wields eternal sovereignty. Look in verse number 34. This is Nebuchadnezzar, and he's saying this of, of the most holy king of heaven, that he liveth forever whose dominion or sovereign rule is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar had just experienced a lesson of his temporariness. And here he is looking up into the face of God as it were and he says, if there is an eternal God, that's you. That's you. I praise and extol you. No other kingdom can make this boast. 
Nebuchadnezzar described the Most High as him that liveth forever. And as I like to say, words mean things. What does that word liveth mean? That word liveth is always in the present tense. Nebuchadnezzar is dead and gone. I doubt we can even know where his, where his remains are. It doesn't matter. You know what? Our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross. He's buried for three days. We can't find his remains. You know why? He liveth forever. He's always in the present tense. That word forever means continuous, uninterrupted, perpetuity. Nebuchadnezzar contrasted his own temporary mortality with God's eternality. I was reading a, a, a book some time ago. Of uh, it, it was titled Hitler's Elite. And Hitler had a very loyal follower, and his name was Baldur von Schirach. Baldur von Schirach was Hitler's youth leader. And listen to one of his quotes, Baldur von Schirach. Your name... My Führer is our immortality. Hitler's Third Reich imploded in 1945, where it is highly believed that Hitler committed suicide and his body was burned into ashes. Hitler's Third Reich, which was supposed to last for a thousand years, lasted for only approximately 12. If, if, if a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is one day, Hitler's Third Reich lasted for one second in God's timetable. Hitler is reputed as nothing. God, God disposed of Hitler irreparably. The Most High reigns eternally. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal. Another word for immortal is incorruptible. Immortal, meaning he can't die. Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Let it be said. God reigns supernaturally. God will never seek the approval or votes. God doesn't campaign for the office of God. In the beginning, God. He will never be affected by approval or disapproval. Polls. Polls don't affect God. I mean, how many people in this world today has, has any concern or reverence for God? Nobody does. Most church members don't. I don't God says, I don't care. I'm God. God will never serve terms of office or term limits. There comes a time when presidents have to leave office. That's constitutional. They have to leave office, regardless of whether they want to or not. They leave office. God never does. You don't like God? Tough. He's God. 
God never seeks re-election. God will never die in office. No one will ever assassinate God in office. The Most High reigns eternally. Not only does the Most High, His sovereign is absolute, and not only is His sovereignty eternal, but number three, God wields universal sovereignty. Look in verse number 35. He does according to His will. I love that expression. Just a little short, succinct little expression that says everything. Let's not add anything to that. He does according to His will. God says, I'm going to do that. Let's stand out of His way. Unless God is using us as His instrument to accomplish His will. God's sovereignty knows no boundaries. The Most High rules supernaturally. We know that by reading in that verse, in the army of heaven. I like that expression. In the army of heaven. The expression Lord of hosts appears so many times in the Bible that I I started counting them one time. Nah, I'm not going to do that. Just too many to count. You You know what that word host means? It means armies. Lord of armies. Not only do I like that word, but I like the plurality of that word. God does whatever He wants to. I mean, God says, you know what? I want to accomplish that. And so He doesn't even have to call up an army. He just sends out an angel. Hey, come here. Go over here and do this. We know that by reading certain scenarios in the book of Daniel. The Most High overrules all human kings. Look at, that, look at that expression, and among the inhabitants of the earth. The Most High rules His entire universe. You know why the sun hasn't fallen out of, it, out, out of its place? Because Scripture says that God formed a socket up there and put the sun in its socket. That's the reason why everything goes around the sun. It hasn't moved. Because God ordained it there. He rules over the holy angels. In 1 Peter chapter 3, listen to what Peter says of Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject or subordinate unto Him. Not only does he reign over the angels, he also rules over Satan and unclean spirits. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, having spoiled principalities. That translates from the Greek word arche, meaning first or highest. He spoiled or plundered principalities and powers. That word power translates from the Greek word exousia, meaning monarchical political, and governmental power, which evidently some angels have at the present time, but yet God Christ has spoiled them. He spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show over them openly, triumphing over them. Not only does He reign holy angels and Satan and unclean spirits, but He rules over the atmospheric weather as well. In Matthew chapter 8, The disciples in Christ were in a boat 
The tempest came upon the boat, and the Bible says that the boat was about full of water. Terrified the disciples so much that they went and woke up the Lord and says, Care, don't you care that we're about to perish? I, 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 I love in, in, in my mind's spiritual eye to go back and put myself in that boat. I, 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 I would just as vigorously try to rouse Jesus Christ just as much as the rest of them. I'm fearful of death. And so we see the Lord just gently stands up and He says, Peace! Be still. Sort of like a mama or a daddy would rebuke an unruly child. How precious those disciples were in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he rebukes the winds and the waves and immediately you could see your reflection up in the water. You know what they, you know what they said? They said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Not only does he rule over holy angels, un, unclean spirits, but, and the weather as well, but he rules over the animal kingdom as well. Go back into Joshua chapter 24, and Joshua tells Israel that God removed the Amorites with hornets. I, 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 I went out to mow my yard the other day, and I pulled my lawnmower out from its little shed and about... And, and I disturbed three or four wasps. I, I made myself scarce. And, and I, I have seen hornets. They are terrifying little beasts. One, but can you imagine a horde of them? In Jonah chapter, chapter 1... The Bible says that the Lord prepared. I love that word. Words mean things. When you look at a word in God's, in God's word, get yourself out a Hebrew or Greek dictionary and find out what that word means. That word prepared means God ordained and sent that fish, and that fish is just sort of swimming around. He wasn't there by happenstance. That fish didn't get up that morning and say, you know what, I think I'll trail that boat. No, God put that fish there. God prepared that fish. As far as I'm concerned, God created that fish on the spot and said, you, you swim underneath this boat because in just a little bit, a backslidden Baptist preacher is going to come your way. And the Bible says that, that he prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And a little bit later on, God said, vomit him out. The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. God is sovereign over the animal kingdom. He is also sovereign over the earth's vegetation. Does that matter? Yeah, it matters. It's His creation. All things are, are, are interesting to God. They're His creation. At God's command, in Jonah chapter 4 again, at God's command, a gourd overshadowed Jonah. I mean, the sun came out. It was hot. Jonah complained. God says, okay, here's a plan. 
And that plant goes up, grows up literally before Jonah's eyes, I think. And at God's command, the gourd withered. God's telling Jonah who's in charge. I'm in charge. We need to know who's in charge. I'm not. I have very little control over my life. There are so many things in my life that manipulates every moment of my day. Not so with God. God does what He wants because He's sovereign. And here's my favorite in in Scripture. In Daniel chapter 6, remember when Darius appointed all of these presidents and and he put Daniel as chief of presidents. These presidents, they didn't like Daniel because he didn't worship their God. He worshiped Jehovah God. So Daniel goes to, to, to his house and he, and he looks out the window and he prays and the presidents knew he was going to be there. They, they, they accused him before Darius. Darius had signed a law that if anybody goes to anybody beside Darius for advice or counsel, then they're to be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel broke that. So they hauled Daniel by the scruff of his neck in before Darius. Darius repents, but buddy, it was a law of the Medes and Persians. It couldn't, be, it couldn't be rescinded. So Darius had no choice but to throw Daniel in the den of lions. Darius goes home that night. He can't sleep. He can't eat. He can't listen to the soothing music that kings would listen to in order to soothe their nerves from, from, from the responsibilities and, and the stresses of, 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 of rule. And he can't sleep that night. He tosses and he turns. And he turns and the only thing he can think of is of the man who he has the greatest respect for, Daniel, who is now dead because of the lions. And early in the morning, we find Darius sprinting through the opening into the, into the den of lions. And he opens that and he says, Daniel, was the God that you're able to trust Able to spare you. Listen to what Daniel says. The Lord spake in, he says, My God has sent his angel. I just wonder how often God has sent his angel to your side and to my side. Haven't seen him. I don't know if I don't know if 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 Daniel saw this angel, but buddy, he knew he was there, whether he saw him or not. He said, God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. Can you imagine Daniel? Here he is in the, in, in the den of lions and they're circling him. And all of a sudden Daniel realizes, you know, there's something supernaturally strange going on here. These, these lions are not acting as lions. One lion goes over there and curls up and lays down. Another one goes over there beside him and, and curls up with him. And, and, and all of a sudden Daniel sees a great heap of lions. Daniel says, hmm, I think I'll do the same thing. I'll guarantee that in all the kingdom, Daniel was the one who had the best sleep that night. For he used a lion as his own pillow, and another lion as his own footstool, and another lion as his own mattress. My God's able to do these things. Why? Because he is the most high king of heaven. He rules over the vegetation as well. He rules over all mankind. At, at the name of Jesus, Paul says, every knee shall bow. Last night, before I got into bed, 
And after I had studied this for the past for for most of the day, I couldn't help but but bow my head and bow my knee to King Jesus. Whenever I contemplate of all the things that He has done for me, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You going to do it today, or you'll do it one day in the future. I think of all of these people who will bow the knee to King Jesus at the great white throne judgment. They'll bow. Every tongue shall confess. Last of all, not only does God have absolute, eternal, universal sovereignty, but God wields unrestrained sovereignty. Look in verse number 35. None can stay or hinder or prevent his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? Or as my mother used to ask me this, Philip, what are you doing? And when she would ask me that question, I would immediately change my behavior and my attitude. You know, a lot of times we, we approach God in the same way. God, what are you doing? God says, None of your business, especially if you want to act that way. But you're going to experience it The Most High's omniscience takes no advice from no one. Listen to what the Lord says of Job's know-it-all friends. I I, I read this, and when I'm in the Spirit on this, it it grips me to think that this is Jehovah God speaking to Job's Job's buddies, and God has has literally said the same things to me. Who is this that darkens or obscures counsel by words without knowledge? There are some things that I've said, and I, I, I go back and think about those. Why in the world? I had no business saying, I, I didn't even know what I was talking about. That's what Job's friends are doing, and that's what God's rebuking them for. By words without counsel, gird up now thy loins like a man. Can we paraphrase this? God says, prepare your best defense, because I'm going to make you give an account of it. I was thinking about this over in Matthew chapter 12 where our Lord says we shall give an account to every idle word in the day of judgment. That's scary. That ought to give us pause. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? You know, there are times whenever we have the idea, Lord, you know, you really ought to do it this way. I like this way better. God says you do? Tough. I'm, I'm going to do it my way. You, you can't counsel me or who has been his counselor. I like what uh, Isaiah says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Man, the, the, the more we submit to God and just let God do have his way through us, the better off we are. God answers to no one. In Romans chapter 9, Paul says this, who are you that replies against God? You're the clay. He's a potter. He's made you what you are. Who are you to reply against that? Well, I don't like it that I'm only five feet, five inches tall. I'd like to be seven feet, God says. Who are you to say how tall you ought to be? No one defies God without consequence. Here's my last verse. In Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 4, Here's what the psalmist says. He that sitteth in the heavens. He's not on earth. 
we, we, we have a president who sits in the White House, and, he, and, he, and he's about as, as helpless as can be. But our God doesn't sit in an Oval Office. He sits in the heavens. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. You don't like God? You grumble and complain or mutter, as we talked about this morning and Sunday. You mutter against God. God's going to laugh at you one day. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them with his sore displeasure. What is your attitude toward God today? One of these days, God's going to haul you. He's going to haul me before the judgment seat of Christ. Brother, will you come forward? He's going to haul you, and he's going to haul me before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to give an account for who I am and what I am and what I have done and what I have said and every thought of my, uh, uh, that I have had. Whether for him, against him, whether for or against you, God is going to haul us before him, and we're going to give an account because God is sovereignty in that manner. But thank God for grace and mercy. Thank God for His compassion upon, upon human beings fallen and as frail and as vile and wicked as we are. Thank God for what He's done for us. Thank God that He bled and died upon Calvary's tree for me. Nobody else would do that for me. But God sent His Son to bleed and die on Calvary's tree to save me from my sins so that I could experience His sovereignty and so that I could respect it and have reverence for it, and so that I could love him for, for the sovereignty that he has over me. And the sooner we come to that realization, the better off that we will be and the more that we will love and respect him for what he is. Brother? Thank you, Brother Phil.